right, good morning and welcome to our final week of our Swipe Right series. And uh, this series has all been, it's been all about intimacy, dating, relationships, marriage, sex. And uh, uh, here's something I've learned over the last four weeks as I've had, uh, you know, conversations with people. I, I guess it's not like the most normal thing in the world to like hear your pastor just talk so freely and openly about sex. Um, and uh, you just have to forgive me. Here's, here's kind of the deal. I listen to tons of sermons but it's like usually like through my earbuds or, you know, maybe through a, like a TV screen. And um, the person I, I hear the most speaking live is myself. And it's not normal for me to talk about these things to me. So um, I, uh, I, I just have a hard time sometimes empathizing. So um, I started thinking back, uh, you know, who are some other pastors I've had in my life? And what would it be like if they talked about this so openly? And uh, I remembered my dad's a pastor. And um, if he would get as explicit as maybe I have over the last two weeks, I would feel very uncomfortable. Um, so forgive me. Thank you for sticking with us uh, through this. Um, this, is a, this, is, uh, this has been a really fun series, and just be grateful it's not a how-to guide, okay? Like, just, let's just be grateful that it's more about what does the Bible have to say about intimacy, sex, and relationships. Um, and the reason why we feel like it's so essential that we talk through this is because so much of our mind space is leased out to this area of our lives. I mean, think about this for a second. I, I, I threw this stat out a few weeks ago, and I'm still trying to like wrap my head around this. The totality of all human knowledge rests in the internet. Like anything that's ever been uh, discovered, anything that's ever been written, almost anything that's ever been thought about has been published and is available on the internet. And yet, 36% of the web is still devoted to pornography. And like, why is that? It's because this is an area of our lives that just, it, it has so many different like rooms rented in our own minds. And one of the things that, uh, that I really believe that a mentor has kind of shared with me, he's like, you know, in, in our day and age, the, the 21st century Western culture worships at the goddess of sex. I'm like, okay, you, you need to explain this a bit more. You know, because if you read through, like, the Old Testament, you, you constantly see that God is telling his people, like, you got to stay away from idols. And the thing is, you hear that, and that's like, oh, that's antiquated. That's, that's weird, because there's not so much, like, you know, temples around the corner where they're, they're leaving their sacrifices for their little golden gods that they set up on, on an altar. And so there's a, there's a potential and just a temptation as you read through some of these passages in the Old Testament and even references in the New Testament of like, that's their thing. Like, that's antiquated. That's old. And like, we don't worship other gods. He's like, no, that's not necessarily true. Um, we just don't necessarily have shrines and temples for them. He's like, but, but we definitely, as a culture, worship the goddess of sex. And he goes, one of, the, one of the best ways to illustrate how true this is, is that one of the worst things that you can wish on somebody is that they would be a 40-year-old virgin. And I'm like, the more I thought, I'm like, they made a movie about this? Like, it's, it's, uh, it's thrown out there like it's a, like it's a huge, huge problem. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that somebody would make it into their 40s without having, without having sex. And the reality is, like, it just is indicative of something that is very true in our society, is that, that we believe that sexual expression is as vital of a right and it's as vital as a, uh, of a need as food and water. And when you really start to break it down, you realize that this isn't like a them and us thing. This is an all of us thing. 
that so much of our mind is leased out to sex. We think about it. We dwell on it. We make provision for it. We plan for it. We think about it. We dwell on it. We meditate on it over and over and over and over. And so it just makes sense that we come in and we, we gather together in a room like this to hear, what, is, what does God have to say about all these different areas of our life? We really should talk about this. And we really should get into it a little bit more. But I just want to take a quick time out. Because I know that there are people in this room that, you know, they've have, they have made a decision. Like, you know, I, I don't really have plans to find intimacy. I don't have plans to meet that special someone. And you have picked a life of celibacy. And I just want you to know, you are not less than. Like, you are not less of a person because you've made this decision. In fact, um, in some ways, being, you know, being married uh, and, and choosing to go into a relationship like that, uh, you actually lose some potential in life, don't you? Like, I get it. Like, my wife's holding me back. That's what I'm saying. Um, no, that's not, not exactly what I'm saying. Here's what I mean, though. Um, this, the moment you say yes to another person, you have to be concerned about their needs. You have to be concerned about what makes them tick. You have to be concerned about what is it that, that I can do for them. And so for me, like my wife and I, we've started a family. And so this week, I didn't spend all my extra free time making this talk better for you this morning. I made sure that my daughter didn't wet her pants, and I made sure the other one, like, you know, continued to eat and stay alive. Why? Because, like, when I enter into another relationship, like, I have to sacrifice some of my own wants for the wants of other people. And so the Bible actually says that whenever you enter into a relationship, specifically in marriage, you lose some of your potential for what you can even do in the kingdom of God. So for those of you who have made a decision, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going into a relationship, you are not like a half-citizen in the kingdom of God. In fact, I just want to remind everybody in this room that we worship a man who stayed celibate and stayed a virgin into his 30s. That Jesus Christ, he, he didn't have a wife, he didn't have children. He didn't have that part, and we don't think that Jesus was less than because of that. So for those of you who have, who have made a decision to kind of protect and to carve out this area of your life, um, you, are not, you are not less than. But the reason why we're talking about this is because so much of our attention is grabbed by this whole concept and this whole topic of sex. You are more than your sexual past. You are more than your sexual future. We have to talk about how do we reconcile some things. We need to talk about how um, sometimes we've made past mistakes and we're bringing baggage into relationships. We need to talk about how sometimes... Many in this room, you were a victim to somebody else's abuse. And you feel guilt for something that you are not guilty for. And we have to try and like help untangle some of that and come to a place of peace within your own soul that, that you might have a history and there might be baggage, but, but you have been made healed and you have been made whole. We have to talk about what it's like for dating, and sometimes dating feels a lot like you're walking through a dark room and somebody's rearranged the furniture, and you're just not really sure where the next ottoman is going to trip you up or where you're going to stub your toe on the bookshelf. We have to talk about these things, because if we don't find our answers here, then where are we going to find our answers? I believe that we are motivated by sex. That's why we have to talk about it. I believe that so much of our mind is given to it. That's why we have to talk about it. 
But I also recognize that one of the, one of the problems with having a series like we've had over the last three weeks is it has potential to induce a lot of guilt. Is that some people, they sit back and they, they hear these things, and we spend a lot of time talking about prevention. And we spend a lot of time talking about, like, how do we avoid some of the pitfalls that we can have? And many of us in the room are left standing here thinking, man, I wish somebody told me this 20 years ago, and maybe I wouldn't have walked into that. I mean, I do believe that one ounce of cure is worth a pound of prevention. Um, but at the same time, we have to kind of deal with some of the realities that are in the room that, that maybe a life before Jesus or maybe even a life while you've followed Jesus has left you holding some baggage that you're just trying to untangle and resolve. Now, my temptation as the communicator is that when I feel there's tension in the room, I, I really want to resolve it. Like, I want, I want to make everybody happy and everybody leave with a smile on, on your face. And it'd be really, really tempting for me just to say, hey, you know what, you're cool, just do whatever you want, and uh, everything will work out in the end. And I would love to say that. The problem is, as I study through the scriptures, I, I don't get that sense, that I have that freedom as somebody who's talking about what the Bible says, just to say, do what you want, and you'll figure it out. And I also have a conviction that I really shouldn't be reconciling a tension that God is comfortable leaving. As we talk about maybe what your past can mean, um, hurting with hope still hurts. And the tension is it's always better to do things God's way, and yet many times we haven't always done things God's way. And even in the midst of this, I really believe that that God can still make a way where it seems like there has not been a way in the past, and that God can still bring some praise to your darkest of days. So this morning, we're going to be in two passages primarily. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6 uh, to start off, and we're also going to be in Judges chapter 16. Uh, so if you are the type of person who, who brought in a physical Bible, if you turn right to the middle and start going to the right, you'll find Galatians eventually. If you go to the left, you're going to find Judges. If you're somebody that's like on a, on a smart device or like a phone or a tablet, um, you can either do alphabetical, that's really easy, or uh, Judges is going to be in the first third of the books, and Galatians will be in the last third. Um, and if you're just scrolling Instagram and making us all think that you're on your Bible, hey, you know, welcome, welcome to the party as well. Um, so this morning, our, our talk is actually titled uh, Magic Beans and In-Betweens. And uh, the title was definitely taken from an episode of The Office where uh, Dwight sold, or not Dwight, Jim sold Dwight a little packet of magic beans. Um, and so what Dwight does is just kind of like the Jack and the Beanstalk story. Uh, Dwight takes his magic beans and he goes and he plants them in some dirt. And as soon as he walks out of the frame, you see Jim walk out with like some fully grown plants that he sets up um, right there. And we're going to get back to that in a minute, but I just want you to know, like, it's kind of where we're headed. Uh, it's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So um, while you guys are in Galatians, turn to chapter 6 uh, and look at verse 9. Uh, this is where we're going to start this morning. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we're going to reap a harvest of blessing, listen to this, if we don't give up. See, this verse actually comes with a qualifier. All right, we want the harvest of blessing, but it only comes if we don't give up. <clears throat> See, here's the deal. Every single one of us, we are impatient people. When it comes to life change, when it comes to like God changing maybe some of the ways that, that we're wired in our minds, 
We want magic beans, don't we? We want something that we can plant, and then overnight, a fully formed, fully mature plant is left in its place. You know, like we think things like this. I've been dieting all afternoon. Why aren't my jeans fitting better? Like, anybody else with me on this one? Where it's like, you, you skip dessert, like, twice in a week, and you're thinking, like, why, why is this, like, not just, like, shedding right off? Like, that's, that's how most of us, that's how most of us really operate, isn't it? We're very impatient. We want things to happen immediately. The harvest of blessing will come if we don't give up. All right, have you guys ever heard of the term honeypot? Um, and it's, if you have, it's exactly what I'm about to talk about. Um, there is a, uh, uh, there's this thing when I used to be an executive pastor where uh, I would get these emails from, uh, it looked like our lead pastor, Brian, who's down at our Anaheim campus, and the email would say it was from him, but then like the content of the message would say something along the lines of, um, you know, Matt, uh, I can has you uh, wire me money to this number. And it's like, it was all written all, you know, terribly. And you just know there's some dude in a, uh, you know, like some computer farm in Thailand or something that's just like emailing these out, like cloning email addresses, trying to get me into like, oh, well, if, if that's what I'm supposed to do, let me send this out. Um, and that, that's a little bit of like the distant cousin to a story I heard recently about this guy who went to China and uh, was walking on the streets of Shanghai when all of these like women would come up to him and ask him, uh, you want sexy massage? And he's like, what? No. Like, and just keep moving. And like the next lady would come up and like, hey, you want, you want sexy massage? And he's like, no, no. Like, what? And then finally, like, you know, he's just like, no, I do not. I do not want that. And he, he asked his guide who's with him, like, what is, what is the deal with this? And here's what he found out. Is that in China, prostitution is illegal, but massages are legal. And so what they would do is these women would find usually foreign businessmen or somebody who looks like they have means... And they would ask them the question, like, do you want a sexy massage? And the, uh, the innuendo was clear that it was more than just a massage. And so these women would take these men up into a room, and, uh, you know, they would have their sexy massage. And then immediately the doors would open up, and there would be, like, this group of people with cameras running into the room. And they weren't on reality TV. What it was um, was, like, this, this group of people coming in and saying, uh, what you have just done is illegal. And you have a choice to make. You can either walk with us to an ATM and you can pay us to say silent, or we're gonna turn this over to the authorities and you're going to Chinese prison. And so, of course, like most of these men in these situations are like, well, let's go to the ATM. And um, what we're gonna talk about this morning is I wanna tell you a story about a honeypot by the name of Delilah um, that, uh, that a guy named Samson ran headfirst into. And so here's the deal about Samson in Judges chapter 16, is that when you read his story, nobody in all of the Old Testament had as much potential as Samson had. That in a season of time, when the Israelites were constantly going through oppression from outside governments and outside kingdoms, Samson had the power and the ability to free them. In fact, Samson was kind of a miracle birth. His parents uh, could not conceive, and his mom said, I, if I have a child, I will, I will give him over to you. And so Samson is born, and God, is, God tells them, he is to be a Nazarite from birth. And the Nazarite was, vow was this thing that would happen 3,500 years ago, where usually for a short period of time, people would say, I'm going to avoid all alcohol, and I'm not going to cut my hair. 
as like a symbol of just my heart being turned over to God. But for Samson, this wasn't going to be a short-term thing. This was to be a long-term. From birth, he was taking the Nazarite vow. And the thing is, God gave him incredible strength. It's almost like comic book hero type stuff. He would go into battle with like him versus 10 guys, nothing, just take him right out. 50 dudes, don't even think about it. 100 guys, like he eats 100 guys for breakfast. Like it just, he can fight off anybody and everybody. And there's just, there just seem to be no limits to his strength and to his power. But see, Samson had a problem. Is that he, he had these areas of his life They refused to actually give wholly and completely over to God. And so what happens, the devil realizes, like, I can't touch Samson on the battlefield, but maybe I can try him in the bedroom. And maybe for you, God really can't touch you in the bedroom. Like, you've put in some good protections that you have, uh, you have given yourself some good boundaries and you're staying within that, but here's how the devil works. If he can't get you there, he'll try somewhere else. Maybe it doesn't work in the bedroom, but maybe he's going to try and test you in the boardroom. See, his goal is he wants to get you to compromise somewhere. It's kind of like a woodpecker who is going and is looking for just the soft spot on the trunk of the tree. He's just tapping away, looking until finally it starts to give. And he's going to try to go after the lust of your flesh. He's going to try and go over the lust of your eyes. He's going to try and go after the pride of your life. He is going to try and find any which way to get in where you're weak. And so for Samson, he was very weak in this area of his own sexual purity. So what happens is um, he lacked complete self-control with this woman named Delilah. And it becomes really clear when you read the story that her whole plan is to try and find the source of his power. She's, she's trying to find a way to give her native country like the upper hand against, against him. And Samson, because of his lack of self-control and because his love for God was always secondary to his craving for sex with her, we read this in Judges 16, 19 through 21. It says, Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap. And then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down. And his strength left him. And then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I'm going to do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him, and they gouged out his eyes, and they took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. Like, even as you read this, you just sense the despair in Samson's life. Like, he squandered this incredible gift. And just so you know, like, his strength didn't come from his long hair. His strength came from God. And his long hair was the symbol for a heart that was turned over to God. So as that's removed, it's, a, it's basically just announcing, I don't really trust God in my strength. And he squanders this incredible gift. God's power left him. I've had enough conversations with people to know that this story actually plays out a lot of different ways. Now, it might not be because of a woman named Delilah trying to get you to turn over the source of your strength, but here's how it plays out for a lot of people. You were born into an incredible family. Your parents gave you everything that you needed. They gave you clothes, they gave you food, emotional support, 
Maybe they sent you to college, paying your bills the whole way. But then what you do is you squandered that gift and kind of walked away from it all. Or maybe you've been given the gift of an incredible family. You've got a wife that loves you and kids that adore you. And then you threw it away. For either the next great thing, or maybe it was even for something simple like you're just more in love with your job than you are with your spouse. Maybe you had a great job, and it was just like an incredible gift, but you squandered it. Because maybe you just got lazy with it. Or maybe you just love taking a little bit here and a little bit there, hoping that nobody would notice. And so what happens, like, months and years, and in some cases decades pass, and we keep having this internal dialogue just cycling through our head, if only. You know, like, if only I had said no. If only I'd not gone to that party. If only I hadn't hit send on the text. If only. Now, this may seem insignificant as we read through this in Judges 16, but it makes a world of difference. This is what verse 22 says. It says, but before long, his hair began to grow back. Remember, there, there is no power in the hair But in his story, there is now hope. The hair is growing back. So no matter what your past has looked like, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter where you've compromised or fallen into a trap or walked headfirst into one, remind you, Jesus' commitment to you It burns hot. See, what happens is that he can actually give you healing where something was broken. He can give you restoration where something was lost. He can redeem something that you sold away. Like, the message of the cross is that you don't have what it takes, that you have made mistakes, that you have fallen into traps. But Jesus' commitment to you does not waver. He loves you and he's willing to restore even the things that we have given away. And for Samson, he now has to live in the aftermath of this new reality. Like, he has given away his strength, but his hair starts to grow back. Now, I want to remind everybody, like, his eyes did not grow back. There was new realities to his life. And maybe for you, you can't go back to that old career because you have burned those bridges. Maybe it's going to take years before your kids ever actually trust you again. There are new realities to the things that you've done. There's emotional scars that when things get poked and prodded, it sets you back and it sends your mind back to a place that you thought you weren't going to go again. The hair starts to grow back. The eyes don't. There is restoration. There is healing. But sometimes there's also new realities. And I believe this with everything I've got. Even when the consequences remain, God can bring greater praise out of your darkest days than you can ever imagine. I love this quote by Max Lucado. I think this is so good. He says, 
you're going to get through this. It's not going to be painless. It won't be quick. But God is going to use this mess for good. Don't be foolish or naive, but don't despair either. With God's help, you will get through this. Let me remind you, Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we're going to reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Don't give up. I mean, we've spent the last four weeks talking about just this area of maybe the sexual decisions that we've made and maybe the relationship with our spouses. And things maybe not, might not be great right now. Don't give up. But this extends into so many different areas of your life as well. Whether it's within your, your integrity and your honesty, whether you're somebody that struggles with just saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, don't give up. See, we want fast. We've been influenced by the microwave, internet, the internet in our pockets. Remember how long it used to take for things to get to your house when you order them online? It'd be like two weeks, you're like, oh, that's great. But now because of Amazon Prime, we're like, if it's not here in two days, like, I am wasting my life. <coughs> when I lived in Orange County, we had a thing called Amazon Prime now, and it wasn't two-day shipping, it was two-hour shipping. Like, there was one morning where it was like 6 a.m., and we had some friends, like, that were staying at our house, and Jen rolls over to me and says, I don't have anything for breakfast. We get online, we order things. Within an hour and a half, we had all the ingredients for pancakes at our door. Like, it's an incredible day and age to, to live in. Um, but here's the thing. This is how we think everything should be now. We want magic beans that sprout up instantly, that change things immediately. See, the guy who wrote Galatians, a guy named Paul, he actually had to tell them, don't give up. But this is a society where if you wanted to pass a message back and forth like 100 miles, it would take you three months. Like people would die between like passing of a message between cities. Like this is, this is a culture where things did not happen fast and he has to tell them, don't give up. Wait, be patient. Imagine how much more we should lean in and listen to this. And so for those of you who have these visions and these dreams of how your life can be different, as you, as you think about the new habits that you want to start, the new boundaries you want to put in place, what I want to do is I want to remind you of the power of a seed. See, what happens is you take a little seed. It doesn't matter the size. Like God has like put the, the DNA inside of it that it can start to sprout, and it can start to change. But the first thing you have to do is you have to plant it. And here's the thing you have to remember. Seeds start small. Whether it is you want an oak, it's got to start as the acorn. The small seed will eventually become the forest. See, Jesus, he once used the illustration and like the metaphor of a mustard seed, and I had to do a little research on this because you know I've eaten a lot of mustard, but I've never actually planted one. Uh, it's like a mustard seed is a very tiny little seed. It's not the smallest, but it's, it's very, very small. But a mustard tree grows up to be 20 feet tall, and like the limbs will spread out 20 feet. All of that from this small, tiny seed. And what is, the, what is the message that Jesus wants us to know? Through faith, things that start small can grow big. We have to remember, these things start small. There is a passage in, it's called Song of Solomon, uh, in the second chapter, 
where the, the uh, admonition of the writer at this moment is, in your life, you have to catch the small foxes before they ruin your vineyard. Now, here's the problem. Samson did not catch the small foxes. Okay, for those of your Bible experts in the world, you know, like, you know, like, well, no, I thought he did actually catch some, you know, some foxes. Yes, all right, you know, weird Bible trivia for 500, Alex. I get it, like, we're all nerds. I, you know, Samson did catch some foxes. It's a whole different story for a different time. Um, but here's the thing. In several areas of his life, he did not hold the boundaries. He was told, you're taking the Nazarite vow. You're not to touch alcohol. But these are things we read about him. He's walking through the vineyard. And what is the point of the vineyard except to grab some wine? And it's implied. Everybody reading knew that was the case. As a Jewish leader, part of the law was you don't touch a dead thing. We actually read about. Like, I'm not talking about the things that maybe went unsaid. We read about him scooping honey out of the carcass of a lion. He's touching dead things. Part of the top ten, the Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery. And we see him going into prostitutes. We see him going to Delilah's house. The small problems in his life, he did not catch. And here's the thing. It's not, not only do good things start small, bad things also start small. Small concessions become small compromises. Small decisions eventually snowball into bad habits and big habits. We have to remember, the devil isn't playing checkers against us. He's playing chess. He's trying to think two or three moves ahead. See, here's a rule I have about intimacy, and I believe that this 100%. Intimacy is always progressing. If you can, like, transport yourself back to when you're, like, I don't know, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, and you held a girl's hand for the very first time, it was exciting. But how long until it wasn't exciting any longer? The first time you, you got that small kiss on the cheek, you lived off of that for days. But then eventually that's not a big deal. Intimacy is always progressing. It always wants more. And if you don't put some protections in your life, married men, if you don't put some protections in your life, that little flirting that's happening right now at your workplace, small compromises, something that if somebody found out about it, you probably wouldn't even get in trouble for, but you know where your head's at, that's eventually going to snowball into something much bigger. Seeds start small. But that's not the only thing true about seeds. See, seeds start small, but they also grow slow, don't they? Like, you plant a seed, you walk out the next day, there's nothing there. It's so frustrating. You're like, where are my tomatoes? You know, and here's the thing. Like, I'll go down to, like, Lowe's or Home Depot, and I'll buy, like, a, like a lemon tree, and I'm like, I only got three lemons. And it took me, like, four months to get those. Like, what is the deal with this? Seeds grow slow. We know this is true. Um, Bruno Mars uh, was on 60 Minutes a couple years ago, and they were, they were asking him just questions about his life. You know, and Bruno Mars is a big deal. Like, he's played the Super Bowl twice. He's won Grammys. His songs have been downloaded millions and billions of times. And so they asked him the question, how long did it take you to write Uptown Funk? He's like, it took me a year. It takes you like three minutes to listen to it. It took him a year to write Uptown Funk. He said that it was in the trash ten times. 
Like, he would write it, he would rewrite it, he would, he would work on it, he'd work around it. So at one point in his life, he was homeless and living in Hawaii. He was actually squatting on a property, like, didn't have a roof, not, not even, like, running water or a bathroom. And when they asked him, like, well, how did you find success? I mean, because you had a lot stacked against you. Here's what he said. It's being dedicated to a craft and spending thousands of hours in the studio getting it right. It's teaching yourself to sing, then teaching yourself to sing better. It's slow growth. If you ever read Malcolm, Gladwell or Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, he talks about the 10,000-hour rule. That for people who become masters in their field, they had to spend 10,000 hours practicing, working on it, before they mastered it. We recognize this in like every area of our life. You went to college, you went to high school, you read the book, you read the manual. You understand like things take time to get better. But for some reason in our spiritual life, when it comes to like changing the way we think and our instincts and our behaviors, we don't trust that a small seed will grow slow We want magic beans. We think this should happen immediately. That I should just turn around tomorrow and everything should be better. And we're frustrated when it's not. You plant the seed. Start small. It grows slow. And not all growth is visible, is it? See, so much is happening underneath the surface That seed is starting to germinate. It's sending out roots. And nobody appreciates it and nobody sees what's happening. But growth is happening. Seeds start small. Seeds grow slow. But let me remind you. Seeds do sprout out. Don't despise small beginnings. Eventually the growth is going to come. It doesn't feel like it the first time you skip that dessert and you're trying to lose weight. It doesn't feel like it the first time you pay a little bit extra on that credit card and you're trying to get yourself out of debt. It doesn't feel like it the first time you create a boundary with your boyfriend or your girlfriend you say, we're not crossing this. But seeds will eventually sprout out. Don't despise small beginnings. One of my new favorite verses is actually Isaiah 60, 22. And it says this, I am the Lord, and it's time, I'm going to do this swiftly. Now there's a couple things to take note of here. Because I love the last half of this, I'm going to do it swiftly. I'm like, yes, God, take off with it, right? Like, go in there, make some changes, and make it fast. Why? Because I'm impatient. I want the magic beans that just change everything immediately. And it's time. I will do it swiftly. You don't know the length of the process. But God can turn something overnight that you've been investing in for years. So I heard a little bit about this thing called the Himalayan lily. Um, Kind of a new, I'm not a horticulture guy. Um, in fact, I had to look that word up this week just to even know what it means. Um, I'm not necessarily somebody, I'm not a green thumb. And so 
as I learn about the Himalayan lily, I'm like, oh, this is making a little bit more sense. Because in Galatians 6, 9, what, is, what, is, what does Paul say? You're going to reap a harvest. We're talking about growth, something that grows from the ground. Well, Himalayan lily, you plant the seed. The first year, it's like nothing has happened. Second year, it's laying dormant. Third year, still nothing. Fourth year, fifth year. He might see a little sprout here or there. But for like five to seven years, at best, it's going to get to this stage right here. But then in year seven, something takes off. God has written into the genetic code of the Himalayan lily. Then year seven, it sprouts up, and it actually goes up 10 feet tall. It starts shooting these beautiful flowers out all over the place. It's an incredible sight to see. It's like a bell has gone off, and suddenly the growth is happening. In its time, it happens swiftly. And we celebrate the moment that the blooms are visible, but we forget you're one, nothing. You're two, nothing. You're three, nothing. You're four, nothing. As we kind of wrap up this series, as we talk about what does it look like for us to swipe right on the right decisions in this area of your life, you have to trust the process. We want things fast. We want the magic beans that we just put in the ground and then tomorrow everything is better. But we all know this. It doesn't work that way. It's being committed to planting the seed and then resting in the in-betweens, the in-between parts of the stages. It's out there watering it and giving it light and fertilizing it, keeping the weeds away that will choke out the life of it. It's not neglecting it. It's your one, your two, your three. And when it starts to grow, celebrating the growth that we see, but not being disappointed that it's not as big as the plant next door. And then in its time, God will do it swiftly. I believe that there's so many of us that are right on the verge of seeing that Galatians 6-9 harvest of blessing, but we're this close to giving up and walking away from it. Like, it's not fun, it's not easy, it's not, it's not like the most exciting thing in the world to say, trust the process, keep working at it, make the right decisions, don't make the wrong decisions. Like, that's not fun for a communicator to say. You know what's more fun to say? Give it 20 minutes and your entire life will be changed. Try this one thing and it'll be easy. But I can't sell you magic beans. What I can tell you to do, trust the in-betweens. Work process. Trust that God's word is correct. That you put these boundaries in your life. You will reap a harvest of blessing. You do commit yourself to doing the 180 in that area of business ethics, gossip, slander, trust, faith, it's the slow, methodical trusting of the process. Hey, I want to invite our, our band to the front right now. And um, 
I also want to invite our ushers to the front as well. Um, the first of every month, we have a moment where we take communion together. And here is the, uh, here's the idea behind communion. 2,000 years ago, Jesus sitting in an upper room with his disciples. And he knows that he's going to the cross the next day. And so he's like, I'm going to have one more meal. I'm sorry, guys, we're not taking the offering. We're, we're going to do communion. We're doing communion. So, um, final meal. And Jesus pulls out this bread, says, this is my body, it is broken for you. And he hands it to them and they eat it. He said, this is my blood, it's poured out for you. And he says, take this and drink. The visual is that Jesus' body and his blood would be shed the next day. And through this, redemption happens. That every story that they had read in the Old Testament about a sacrifice needed to make things right between them and God was going to be fulfilled in the death of Jesus that next day. And for the last 2,000 years, churches all across the world have gathered together in rooms like this and in rooms smaller and rooms larger to also take these elements of bread and juice. And remember, he bought us back, that he restored. Where it felt like things were lost, the hair could start to grow back. And where our eyes seem to be gouged out, God can still make a way where it doesn't feel like there was any way. And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do. As the elements are passed by, if you're somebody that's like, eh, it's weird for me, I don't really feel comfortable doing this, just let it pass. We're not, like, there's no spotlights on you. Nobody's going to care. Um, if you're somebody that's like, you know, I, I feel like there's something that's just not right between me and God, and I just feel like I need to pass, feel free to pass. But for those of you who just want to take a moment to reflect and remember what Jesus has done and how he has restored things, and you want to trust the process that he is going to make things new, and that he can be the same God who can, in his time, move swiftly. Take the elements. Have a moment. We're going to have verses up here on the screen. They're just going to cycle through. Have a moment of reflection. Talk to God. And when you're ready, we're not going to tell you when, but when you're ready, you can eat, you can drink, and then a little bit later when we start to sing, you can join in with that. I believe that God has a better tomorrow for you than your today, but it starts in those next steps right now. It's planting that seed, believing that it will grow. And I want to help you just maybe take a next step today. So you guys can have a seat for a second while we invite our ushers to come front. Um, we have a couple things we want to cover. The first is, uh, this is our opportunity to receive our offering. And for those of you who are our financial partners, thank you. We're able to do what we can and help people find and follow Jesus because of your extravagant generosity. We have our ways to give up here on the screen uh, that maybe you are somebody that wants to um, go online, crosspoint.com slash give. Text to give, send Crosspoint VC to 77977, or go old school, use the envelope in the bucket. But thank you for that. Um, but I also want to highlight some next steps you can take on the back side of your connection card. Um, you might, your next step might just be leaving us a prayer request that we can pray with you about. You might say, you know, I'm going to uh, plant a seed for a new beginning. You're going to say, I'm going to trust God with the in-betweens. Whatever that is, I'm going to encourage you, take your next step today. If this is your very first time here, I'd love to meet you in the lobby as well. Uh, but we're going to sing one last song as we receive our offering. And um, Crosspoint, I love you guys. And I'm excited what God's doing through us.